We are in a series, Fruit of the Spirit, Internal Gospel Growth. So let me read, turn to Galatians chapter 5. Hopefully you have Bible. If you don't, there are some in the back. If you don't own one, uh, it's yours. Take it with you. If you take one every week and you've got eight of them at home, bring some back. That would be appreciated. <laughs> Galatians chapter 5. Just saying. Verse 22. The Apostle Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I'm going to read a portion from you from Psalm 89. I commend that psalm to you this week. Read it. It's, it's a beautiful psalm. Let me read the first few verses, and then we'll jump into the rest of it. 89 uh, verses 1 through 4, and you will get the feel of the, of the psalm. I will sing of the steadfast, has said, love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Verse 28 in the Psalm 89. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. He's talking about David to his heir. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. My covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever, his throne, as the days of the heavens forever. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne, as long as the sun before me like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. Great psalm. 2 Timothy, a last reading, verse 11 through 13. The saying is trustworthy, Paul talking to young Timothy. If we have died with him, he will also, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we would deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he, God, remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word this, this morning. So kids, you're dismissed as we jump into our series, because you're dismissed for Children's Church. Every week, seven weeks so far maybe, I think, we're looking at Galatians 9, Galatians 5, at nine characteristics produced by the Holy Spirit in the believer. Some people call them communicable attributes or communicable um, characteristics of God. Communicable means things that God is in of himself that he communicates and shares with his creation. There are, there are attributes and characteristics he shares, and there's some incommunicable characteristics that he does not share. In fact, one of them is his eternality. We're not eternal like God. Westminster Confession says, Confession says this, there is, but one, there is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being, you're not, and perfection, 
a most pure spirit, invisible, immutable, unchanging. You're not that either. You could tell. Immense and eternal. That's, that's what he doesn't share. But the things he shares with us, his characteristics, his attributes share with us, is those things in which he wants to produce in us. Be holy as I am holy. And one of the nine characteristics were also, as we know, manifested perfectly, perfectively or perfect in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all the things that we read about. Galatians 5 shows us the fruit of the Spirit, shows us the things in which God wants to produce in us, but also tells us there's something warring against us, if you remember. We have the desires and the deeds of the flesh, the part of us that wants to abandon faith in God, the part of us that wants to forsake the cross as a means of our only justification. Self-salvation means that we are seeking value, purpose, and meaning in life outside of God's provision in the gospel. And when we rely on anything else other than Christ, other than his forgiveness, other than his all-satisfying beauty, glory in the cross, we pursue created things, not only that it will not give us what our hearts need, justification being made right with God, it makes us angry, bewildered, empty when they fail us. And that's the things that Paul talks about in chapter five as well, that these are the flesh. When we go outside our marriage covenant, when we, when we, that's when we, uh, are into sexual morality or we worship other things we're into idolatry and jealousy verse 20 fits of anger dissension drunkenness but listen when our hearts are resting and relying upon cherishing and treasuring Christ and his forgiveness and his righteousness then we are free from self-effort to try to justify ourselves and that's when the Holy Spirit can work in our lives whose function is to reveal the glory of Christ to reveal the beauty of Christ to conform us to the image of Christ Family, you'll know that the Holy Spirit is working in your life when you're growing more in love with Christ, more in love with his word, and that love is being seen and and poured out of your soul and your heart to other people. The Holy Spirit is working in your life when your joy, the joy of being rescued and redeemed and, and satisfied in Christ and his forgiveness and justification by grace alone, and it's being manifested even in difficult times. You know, the Holy Spirit is working in life, as the hymn writer wrote long ago, when peace like a river attendeth my way, lost his family, many, many people in his family, sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know it is well. It is well with my soul. I have peace with God. You know the Holy Spirit is working in your life when you are more patient with other people because you're reminded every moment of every day that God is very patient with you and me. You know that you're growing in the Holy Spirit when your life, well, you know you're growing in the Holy Spirit in your life when you're growing in, in kindness. We talked about that inner disposition of, of being uh, uh, sensitive to the needs of others. Perry spoke about goodness, that moral and spiritual display of, 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 of goodness toward other people acted out. When we are seeing the incalculable worth and the beauty of Christ in his goodness and his kindness toward us is flowing out of us toward other people. The more we appropriate the gospel, the more we understand the truth of the, of the gospel, the more we'll grow in the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a book written by Milton Vincent. He wrote the Gospel Primer. I've given it to many of you. Um, if you want a copy, just let me know. 
Um, he write a book about the, God, the centrality of the gospel. He writes this, the gospel encourages me to rest in my righteous standing with God, a standing which Christ himself has accomplished and always maintains for me. I never have to do a moment's labor to gain or maintain my justified status before God. Freed from the burden of such a task, I now can put my energies into enjoying God. <laughs> enjoying God. You enjoy God? Pursuing holiness, he says, and ministering God's grace, amazing grace to others, end quote. What he's saying is this, and we need to understand this, is that there's a major difference between a morally restrained heart, doing and not doing, trying to be justified maybe right before God, and a morally, uh, excuse me, a supernatural changed heart that's resting in the work and the sufficiency of Christ. There's a big difference between the two. We're resting in Christ, his forgiveness, his flawless life, his perfect righteousness has been imputed to us. We're now free from condemnation. We're free from self-salvation. Milton goes on to write this. He says, I just want to read this quote. The Bible teaches that genuine love in my heart for God is generated by an awareness of his love for me. And nowhere is the love of God more clearly revealed than in the gospel. Therefore, preaching the gospel to myself is a great way to keep God's amazing love before my eyes so that I might experience its power to produce in me, as we've been talking about, a passionate love for him in return. Romanced by his love in this way, my increasingly smitten heart, listen, romanced by his love in this way in the gospel, increasingly, my increasingly smitten heart will burn to do his will and will feast itself on doing so, end quote. First John talks about the law of God and following on Christ, not burdensome to us. It's a joy for us. Preaching the gospel to ourselves, family, is something we must do. It, it, it's simply this, that I am so bad, I am so wicked, I am so without hope, that God had to come down from glory, be brutally beaten and crucified, taking the wrath I deserve in my place for my sins, and doing so... For his glory, but because he also loves me, delights in me, and joyfully endured all that so that we can, I can, you can, become his. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. That's what it means to press in the gospel on a regular basis. I'll remind you that every single week I'm here. I've got nothing else for you. I've got nothing else but the gospel. And how does that gospel work out how does that gospel truth press in our heart by the Spirit to produce faithfulnesses today? Faithfulness. Three things. Attributed to God, we've got to start there. I know I do on probably every week, but it is what it is. Ascribed to Jesus, and then animated, lived out with vigor through us. So that's where we're going. Let's first define Faithfulness. Obviously, the word faithfulness comes from the word faith. In fact, if you have a King James Bible in the fruit of the Spirit, when you get to faithfulness, they simply just say faith. Holman Dictionary. That came up? Yeah. Says this. The most significant Hebrew word, Old Testament, is amen, a root word that denotes reliability, stability, firmness. The New Testament, pistis Greek, conveys the idea of trust, a firm internal conviction regarding 
the truthfulness of someone or some claim. I want you to notice that that faithfulness not only has a dependability and a reliability in it, it also has this idea of firmness, of loyalty, of courage. Tim Keller says this about it. He says, it is being absolutely wholehearted as opposed to being half-hearted, utterly committed as opposed to someone who's always setting goals, never reaching them, always making promises, and never fulfilling them, end quote. Think for a minute. How important is it to you? The faithfulness, the reliability, the stability, and the truthfulness of God to you. Have you thought about that? Think of all the promises. Think of all the promises. I was thinking about this this week. (laughs) You cling to every day. You believe and have hope in every day. If God were not true to his word, where would we be? Think about how comforted you are on a regular basis because of the faithfulness of God. Think about how secure you are because of the faithfulness of God in your salvation. God promised through Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 that God will sustain you. God will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ Verse nine, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Scripture over and over and over again speaks of the faithfulness of God. When God says something, God does it. When God says something will happen, it happens. Whether it's in the past, whether it's in the present, whether it's in the future, when God speaks, God is faithful and trustworthy and reliable and dependable. If God were not, if there was just one time that God was not faithful, he'd cease to be God. We could not rely upon him on any promises at that point. God is eternally reliable, steadfast, unwavering because it's who he is. God does not wake up and say, you know what, I got to try to be faithful today. Faithfulness is an essential part of who he is. Psalm 89.8, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. God is, by nature, faithful. In fact, Paul speaks of it often in his epistles. He begins in his first epistle, ends with his last epistle in 2 Timothy, and everywhere in between, he speaks of God's faithfulness to him in the numerous of experiences and difficulties that he has been through. One of the things that's interesting if you study the the term faithfulness in Scripture is the faithfulness of God is many times linked to his love. Love and faithfulness come together. In fact, when God revealed himself to Moses after he had gone up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, remember, come down, they're worshiping the golden calf. God shows himself, shows his name and his nature to Moses in Exodus 34, and he says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, he's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God keeps his promises. When God explained to Israel why he had chosen them of all the people in the land to be his chosen people, Deuteronomy 7, he said, I'm gonna make you my treasured possession out of all the people in the face of the earth, not because there's many of you and not because there's a few of you, but... 
because the Lord loves you. And he's keeping an oath that he kept to your fathers that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, Deuteronomy 7, redeemed you from the house of slavery, from, the, from Pharaoh, he, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. We can go on and on and on. Know this, God's faithfulness can be spoken about not only is he faithful and trustworthy, but it has to do with his loving, loyal commitment to his promises. Even though, frequently, we're unfaithful and deserving of judgment, not faith, not faithfulness on his part. He is unwavering, he is constant. In fact, Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, they're in the garden. Don't do this. Don't eat from that tree. They sin, they rebel, they're banished, and God speaks a promise. Speaks the first gospel promise in Genesis 3.15 that I will, I will, not I may, I will put enmity between the woman and between her offspring and hers. He will crush your head. You will strike us here. And the gospel is promised in Genesis 3.15 that the Messiah will come. He will inflict inflict a fatal blow on Satan and then God continues that promise. We studied Genesis throughout the entire book of Genesis in the midst of kinds of broken, twisted, jacked up people, I will tell you. God promised the land to Abraham, his descendant, he kept his promise. God, even during the famine, Jacob and his family in Egypt, 400 years, and we see in the Exodus, God delivering them out of slavery through Moses and Aaron, that whole salvation experience of the Exodus is rooted in the trustworthy and faithfulness of God. <laughs> when we went through Genesis, I, I've had more people come up to me and say, I, I knew about Abraham and I knew these stories, the faithful this, faithful that, faithful. I didn't know all those other stories that happened. Like, yeah, if we go through books of the Bible, you'll learn about people. And it better shows us how, you know, understand that God remains faithful even when we're not faithful. We heard the scripture reading. Uh, Rebecca read it as well, 2 Timothy. If we die with him, live with us, we'll, we'll live with him. If we endure, we'll reign with him. We deny him, he'll deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful if we cannot deny himself. God is faithful. He protects us in his faithfulness from evil, 2 Thessalonians. Paul prays that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is what? Faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. God is faithful even in our temptation and putting limits on how far it will go, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. God is what? Faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. With temptation, God provides a way. And let's be honest, we don't always take that way out. And we sin. And you know, God is faithful even in our sin. Faith, wonderful verse we love to quote. First John, is that up there? No, let me see the next one slide there. Okay. If we confess our sin, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness our salvation our forgiveness of sin is dependent on his faithfulness he doesn't wake up some morning and go you know i, I made these promises i told him if they confess he'll faithful and just to forgive but i'm not in the mood today right i'm not in the mood today and finally god is faithful to work his sanctification becoming more like christ being conformed to the image of christ philippians tells us paul says i'm sure of this 
that he, God, who began a good work in you, will what? Bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not taking anything away from my responsibility. I always got to mention this. But let me tell you something. If my sanctification and my final salvation was because of my faithfulness and trustworthiness, I'm in a lot of trouble. It's finally the Lord Jesus Christ, his faithfulness to me that gets me to the end. My sheep hear my voice, remembering John, and, and, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never, never, ever perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. That's, that's, that's what I'm resting in. That's what I'm resting in. Even in my brokenness, even in my sin, I'm resting in God's faithfulness. There's a prophet. His name is Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. But Jeremiah, was, they call him the weeping prophet. The man preached the word, preached the word, preached the word. They just hated him all his whole life. I, I can't imagine he also wrote the book of Lamentations. And in the midst of, Lam- in, in the midst of, of sinful, rebellious, hard-headed people like me, he writes this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's the song comes from. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. I want you to see before we leave this point. It's imperative that we rest in God's mercy and faithfulness as the key to restored, renewed, and our relentless relationship with him. This is why scriptures over and over celebrate the faithfulness of God. Celebrate the faithfulness of God because he has kept every one of his promises and he continues to be, will always be faithful. Next, look at Jesus. Now, I could talk to you, and that was my plan. When I, when I sat down to study, my plan was to show you Jesus' faithfulness to us. But I feel the Lord took me in a different direction. What I want to talk to you first about is the Lord's Jesus' faithfulness to his Father. That Jesus had total trust, total confidence in the Father, and he was faithful in his responsibility that the Father gave him to do. If you remember from John, again, in our studies, there are numerous occasions that Jesus says, I only do and say all that the Father has given me to do and stay and say. John 5, 19, this, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son could do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. I'm faithful to my Father. And then in verse 31 of John 5, he says something very interesting. He says, I do as the Father has commanded me, I'm faithful, so that the world may know that I love the Father. So the the faithfulness, this, this relationship of faithfulness with Jesus has to do with, and it culminates in the cross, right? But has to do with not only faithfulness, but has to do with the Father's plan, the Father's faithfulness to Jesus. For this purpose, I've come to this hour. I, I, am, I, I am being faithful to my Father, and my Father is being faithful to me. I've glorified you on earth, he said, and accomplished the things that you've given me to do. So it's not just simply the love relationship. As, you, as we went through John, you see this unwavering, relentless trust that Jesus had in the Father accomplishing the plan of redemption, the work that he planned them to do. There was, there was love and there was trust that was involved. When does faithfulness, your faithfulness, or faithfulness in general, when does faithfulness get brought out into the open? When does it become 
where, where the rubber hits the road? Where does it become a place where it's put to the test? Where does your faithfulness, that's a good question. When does your faithfulness become a test? When it costs something. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took Peter, James, and John, went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, all right, guys, listen, I'm going to pray. Stay awake and pray for me. What'd they do? Fell asleep. Mark tells us that Jesus began to pray and was greatly distressed. He was, the, the Greek meaning literally is terrified, surprised. Jesus began to experience something uh, and getting a preview of what was ahead of him. And Mark tells us what it is. He said he fell on the ground. He prayed, if it were possible, if it were possible, John 14, 35, Jesus praying, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not I will. Not what I will, but what you will. The hour, the hour of the cross, the cup, we know is a metaphor of justice and divine wrath that's going to be poured out on Jesus on the cross. And at that moment, the night before he was crucified, the Father, it's almost as if he's swishing the cup in Jesus' mind uh, of the wrath, the, the, the justice that's coming down on injustice for our sins on the cross on, on the evening and Jesus was praying. Why? Why not wait till he's crucified? Why not wait and show him so that he can experience the wrath against sin, the cup? Maybe it's because it would take great faithfulness on Jesus' part. To see the cup now, not when he's held on the cross, when he is alone and in prayer and getting a preview of what lies ahead of him. The divine wrath, the hellish reality. Incredible faithfulness on Jesus' part. Jonathan Edwards in a sermon on just that night, the agony in which Jesus, in fact that's the name of the sermon I believe it's called, Christ's Agony. Now bear with me, I want, I want you to listen to this. A little long, but I want you to hear what he wrote in his sermon. Jonathan Edwards, a few, few years ago. He says this. When the dreadful cup was before him, he did not say within himself, why should I? Who am so great and glorious a person, infinitely more honorable than all the angels in heaven, why should I? Go to plunge myself into such dreadful, amazing torments for worthless, wretched worms, that's me, that cannot be profitable to God or me and that deserve to be hated and not loved. Why should I, who have been living from all eternity in the enjoyment of the Father's love, go to cast myself into such a furnace for them that never requit me for it? Give me anything in return. Why should I yield myself to be thus crushed by the weight of divine wrath for them who have no love to me and are my enemies? They do not deserve union with me. They never did. They never will. Anything they recommend to me. What shall I be? The richer for having saved a number of miserable haters of God in me who deserve to have divine justice glorified in their destruction. Then he writes... Such, however, was not the language of Christ's heart. In these circumstances, but on the contrary, his love held out and he resolved even then in the midst of his agony to yield himself up to the will of God and I would say to the faithfulness of God and take the cup and drink it, end quote. Jesus was faithful. Jesus trusted in the faithfulness of his father, 
all alone, the greatest evil, and he remains faithful. Why? Yes, love and trust. Not love and trust of you, but love and trust from his father. Now, in Psalm 89, we read this as our scripture text. In Psalm 89, and I, you know, Jesus had his Old Testament, right? Jesus had the Old Testament Bible and knew his Old Testament. Do you think for a moment that Jesus did not read things spoken about him and the promises that were made to him while he was on earth? And do you think that ministered to his soul that his father was being faithful and had said the things he said and was faithful to carry out what he said he was going to carry out? I do. How can he not read Psalm 89 and see the promises that God made to David and to the heir of David, who we know is Jesus, that he will have an eternal throne? And he writes things like, you know, uh, my steadfast love I will keep for him forever. My covenant I will, I will make and it will stand forever. I will not remove my steadfast love or be false to my, to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant. His offspring, Jesus, shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before him. I mean, Jesus knows those things. Jesus knows Psalm 16 10, that I will not, he says, abandon my soul to Sheol. I will not leave him in the grave. I will not let your Holy One see corruption. Why do you think Jesus said on the cross, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit? Because he trusted in the faithfulness, reliability, dependability of his Father. And just as Jesus was faithful to his Father, he is faithful to us. He is faithful to us. The writer of Hebrews says he's a merciful and faithful high priest. Do you know that when Jesus returns in glory, when Jesus returns riding a white horse, do you know what it said of him in Revelations? He is called the faithful and true. Family, when, you're fear, when you are facing trials, when you are facing difficulties, when you are in a, in, a, in a painful time, in a painful situation, you can absolutely be sure that Jesus will keep his word. He is dependable, he is reliable, and he is loyal to keep his promises to love you, to forgive you, to never leave you, to be your all-satisfying savior even when life goes crazy and he is enough. He will meet you in those dark places. He will be faithful to his father. He will be faithful to you. He is faithful to, to wayward Israel. He is faithful to the sleeping apostles and his unchanging faithfulness. He will be faithful to us. Now, with all that said, something has to change in our hearts. What does that say about God's people? God's people should be marked by faithfulness. God's people need to be marked by faithfulness. And, and let me just say this about faithfulness. Just like love, and you may have never thought this before, but we're gonna think this through. Just like love, kindness, faithfulness can be exhibited in a negative way. Faithfulness can be exhibited in a, in a negative and bad way. People can be faithful and loyal to people who don't warrant faithfulness and loyalty. There are many people who are faithful to their destructive beliefs, wrong causes, false religions, hurtful behavior. They may be called faithful, yet foolish in following the object of their loyalty. Whether it's Mormons, whether it's Jehovah Witnesses, whether they come into your house knocking on the door, they have many faithful followers. There are many causes that, that are, 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 are 
There are many causes that many people have signed up for and they're faithful to their cause, but really the root problem or, or the real main problem is, has nothing to do with God, all right? You want to take care of your environment? So do I. But I'm not worshiping Mother Earth. So our faithfulness, listen, must be grounded and flow out of God's faithfulness to himself. And where do we see the faithfulness of God more clearly than anywhere else? And that's in the word of God, the scriptures. God promises in his word to redeem and rescue us for salvation. God promises in his word that he will never leave us nor forsake us. God promises in his word that those who trust in Christ will be eternally with him and those who don't will be eternally cast away. Faithfulness has a starting point. Faithfulness has a guide, and that is the word of God, the revelation of who God is. It is our rule. It is all that, for all that matters, faith and practice. Someone said it this week. I, I don't remember where I got this from, but someone said this. A Christian is one who is cautioned, counseled, corrected, consoled, commanded, and controlled by Scripture. Faithfulness to any idea, belief, a notion about God his way of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and not based on his word is dangerous. We should not be faithful. And that's the place I hope none of our hearts are at, right? In that dark place of, of faithfulness to falsehood, running after lies and, and doing things and, and deceiving oneself. We're called to be faithful to the gospel because the word, the word of God is true. Psalm 34, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. So faithfulness for the sake of faithfulness is not good. Faithfulness in, in, in who God is and what God has revealed himself is good. Now, we need discernment. But once there's that you're faithful, your word is faithful, that's my guide, that's my starting point, then we can have faithfulness in relationships, right? That's, that's where it begins. That's the guide, one other thing I want to say, there's a difference between faithfulness as a temperament, we talked about this before, and faithfulness as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between the two. Some people are just more true to their word than other people. Some people are just more reliable. Some people just have, the more, have, have, a, have a greater courage to stand up for what is right. They're wholehearted, they're committed they, they do what they say, they say what they do. And some people who are gentle, right? You, you know, you're, you're kind, you're gentle, everyone loves you. You don't want to hurt nobody. You know, you love everyone. You don't want to say nothing wrong. It's actually self-seeking, it's not love. Remember, the fruit grows symmetrically. There's a process, they may grow at different rates, but now Listen. Real love, joy, kindness, goodness goes with faithfulness. Many times a temperament of kindness and goodness, you're kind, you see the needs of others, you're good, you want to act on those things. They don't necessarily, if it's not a fruit of the Spirit, maybe a temperament, don't go with courage, loyalty, faithfulness. If you're a scaredy cat, right, and you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, you may see the needs of others. You may want to be generous toward them, but you're not bearing the fruit of faithfulness because what they need and what you see and what, they, what you need to do is speak to them in truth and in love. See, they all go together. There's got to be discernment. There are times when we're, we're generous in certain ways. There are times we need to speak up and be courageous. And the other way is true too. You may have a temperament. Some of you may have a temperament of, of great faithfulness. But you know it's, 
it's not of the Spirit when your faithfulness is simply for you to say, why can't you be like me? I'm faithful, you should be. There's a big difference. That's not kind, that's not loving. That's about ego. You see how they all work together? Kind, we have a, 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 a radical otherness in our life. We are generous and we are good. And we want to serve people. And yet we need to stand up and be courageous and faithful when we need to be. When they're working together, you know it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Let's get practical now. Hold on. We live in a culture, we live in a world that's unfaithful. No matter, if, if I'm feeling some displeasure, I'm out. My promise, I don't care. We live in a world that's becoming more and more self-centered. It's a world where promises are broken, pledges are broken, and arrangements and convenient are replaceable. We're, we, we just replace anything that is inconvenient for us, is what I'm saying. But the people of God ought to be different. And let me say this very clearly and succinctly. When we do not keep our promises, and when we are not faithful to others, it is primary and first a lack of the trust of God. The fruit of the Spirit faithfulness will produce in us when we trust God and His faithfulness. When we're not faithful, we're telling the world, we're telling God, we don't trust you. You're not reliable. You're not dependable. We, as followers of Christ, should be found faithful in our relationships with our spouses, with our children, with our parents, with our church family, employees, employers, friends, and acquaintances. If God's faithfulness to me is flowing through me, I will be faithful to others. We cannot say that God is faithful. We cannot say that I am faithful to God if we are unfaithful in human relationships. You following that? Are you single this morning? Be faithful. Be faithful to your friends, your money, your time, your giftedness. You're in a wonderful place in your life, and God wants you to be faithful, building, building relationships, maybe, maybe pouring your life into other people. Uh, you, you know, you, you have a unique opportunity. Be faithful financially or, or just loving people, building life, making time for others. Are you married? Be faithful. In good and bad, in sickness and health, be faithful. Physical, emotional, intellectual faithfulness. If you're not faithful, it's to say, God, you're not reliable. You're not trustworthy. You said, if, if by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, I'll follow you and I'll obey you, I'll experience you. I'll experience your love and grace and mercy in my life. But right now, I'm not happy, so you're not dependable. That's what we're saying. Larry Crabb, in a wonderful book called The Marriage Breaker, writes this. The problem with unsteady, yeah, the problem with unsteady Commitment is not centrally a problem of the will. It is rather a deficient belief, I would say, in the faithfulness of God. We simply do not believe that the God who tells us to remain committed to our marriage partners is good or faithful. If, he, if, if we knew he was good and faithful, we would sense a deep desire to follow his leading, the goodness of God. You may be thinking, but, but I'm just not happy, or I lost interest. I don't love them. The culture would tell you to find someone else. That's not only sinful, it's a lack of trust in God. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Is Jesus faithful to his church? Wives, love and respect your husband. Is church called to be unloving and disrespectful to the head of the church, Jesus Christ? 
Be faithful. Be faithful to your children. There's no guarantees about our kids. I hear this all the time. It's not about what your kids turn out to be. It's about you being faithful in, in, your, in your love and care for your children. Care, provide, discipline, raise them in the admonition of the Lord. And as they grow, grow older, and I, I've experienced this, and they wander, have a welcome mat. Be open. Love them anyway. Love them through the hard times. It takes discernment. I get that, but be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful with your parents. Some of you have aging parents. I know we do. Be faithful to your parents, to your grandparents. Love them, care for them, uh, be there for them. Don't talk trash about them. Faithful to each other in the body of Christ. Do you realize that if you're not using your gifts, if you're not connected in the body, if you're not living life together, how can we be faithful to one another? We're faithful to one another. Christ calls us to be faithful here in the church. What about your job? Whether you're an employee or an employer, are you reliable? Is your yes a yes and your no a no? Can you be counted on? Can you, does your boss say, you know, one thing I can say about him or her, they're faithful, they're trustworthy, they're dependable. They should if you're a follower of Christ. Maybe you have people working for you. Well, that's awesome. Can they say, you know what, you can be trusted. Proper wages and caring about people that have been entrusted to you. Are you faithful? Is your yes a yes? Is your no a no? If you say you're going to be there, you're there. If you say you're going to call back someone, you call back. You're faithful. It implies to friends and family and fellow students. If we believe God is faithful, it will be seen in our faithfulness to others. So I don't want to send you off in this, in this moral, go do it. So how do, we, how do we really grasp the faithfulness of God? You see, it's not just knowing God is faithful. It's not just seeing Jesus being faithful to his disciples who were sleeping. It's seeing and grasping the beauty of Jesus' perfect faithfulness as he's dying for us and giving us and imputing to us his righteousness that we don't deserve. It's not simply rehearsing and and resembling that which God wants us to look like as an example. That won't make you faithful. It's not about resemblance. It's about resting in the record of God that will make you faithful. Resting in the record of God. Look at what Jesus has done for you. Jesus was faithful and lost his life. He was crushed. So even when we are unfaithful, we still have life. That's the gospel. The gospel is not, Jesus, you're faithful, and now i got to work really hard at trying to be faithful. The gospel is seeing that Jesus Christ, though he was faithful, was treated as if he was unfaithful. And that doesn't just leave me an example to follow, an example to rehearse, but a record to be rested in. 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who knew no sin, that he, we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now listen carefully. I'm almost done. I don't want you to miss this. Growing in the fruit of the spirit of faithfulness happens when we press in and are being melted by the gospel. What Jesus has done for you being absolutely faithful, but instead treated for our unfaithfulness so that we can be counted faithful in Christ. When you see that and you press that in, you'll grow in the fruit of the spirit of faithfulness. Remember what I said? I said faithfulness is put to the test when? When it costs something. So when you're on a road, and there's a fork in the road, faithfulness, faithlessness, unfaithfulness. We've all been down that road, right? We've all been there. It feels so good. 
It seems to be right. Just remember the road to unfaithfulness and think this through. He or she did not bear the wrath I justly deserve. He or she did not experience hell for you. They can't forgive you of your sins. They can't impute to you a righteousness that's required of God. That's what it means to look at Jesus. That's what it means to press in the gospel. Whatever it may be, that could cost you. Anything that could cost you your integrity, your faithfulness, job, approval of others, relationship status, whatever it can be, it can be turned around when you say, if Jesus was utterly cut off for me, if Jesus experienced hell for me, separated from the Father, died in my place so that I can have life, how can I treat something else, decision, fork in the road, as something more valuable, more precious, more trustworthy than him? How could I not keep my promises even if it's costly? Remember, in God's eyes, even though I'm a sinner... Though I'm weak, he loves me, and because of the gospel, he sees me as faithful. When you see what Jesus did for you, you see this beautiful and matchless beauty, and that is how God sees you in Christ. Be faithful to him because of the promise he kept. He trusted the Father and was faithful to the end. Not my will, but thine be done. He was experiencing hell to keep his promises so that we can be found faithful And may his faithfulness and the gospel press us, even if it costs something, to be faithful in our relationships. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thinking about this all week, I I, I haven't really thought about it in this way in so long, but where would we be if you changed your mind? Where would we be if you didn't keep your promises Where would we be if you do not forgive all our sins? Where would we be if we had to in any way, shape, or form earn our way into some sort of right standing with you? We'd be on our own. But Lord, you are faithful. You are faithful in the sending of your son. You are faithful, Lord, in the promises of those who trust in you. So God, as we sing this song and as we respond together here as a family let us praise you for your faithfulness and father if there's anyone here that has never truly understood what you have done by sending your son an atoning sacrifice for our sins and that you are faithful to forgive us of our sins and we confess them lord i pray and we pray that they would turn from their sin and trust jesus christ as the atoning sacrifice as the only way to be reconciled with you Holy Spirit, please come and help us to respond in a way that brings you glory and just marvels at your faithfulness to us, we pray. Amen.